Welcome to another episode of Architects, where we speak to the architects of art, the individuals shaping the culture of our past, present, and future, and challenging the way we think and feel about the world around us. I'm Taj Crislow. Today's guest is a true legend in these music video streets, an iconic photographer and director. Born in Chicago and raised in Australia, he fell in love with surfing at a young age and became the de facto photographer for his wave riding friends. After failing a high school photography course, he was sent back to Chicago to live with his mother, where his passion for photography continued to grow. After years navigating the Chicago music scene, he had his breakthrough moment after purchasing the domain name of his favorite artist at the time, KanyeWest.com. Soon he was contacted by Kanye's team and he parlayed the opportunity into becoming Kanye's photographer. Since then, he's collaborated with countless artists like Frank Ocean, Kid Cudi, The Weeknd, Travis Scott, James Blake, man, the list goes on. And in June, he released his debut feature film, Gully, with an incredible cast featuring Jacob Lattimore, Jonathan Majors, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Terrence Howard, and Amber Heard. This week, I got Karina Evans on the podcast with me, and I know it's going to be a special one. So let's welcome the legend himself, Nabil Darkitects. Nabil, brother, welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, how you feeling today, man? Um, it's been a roller coaster of a day, but I feel I'm blessed. It's a Friday night. I'm healthy and I'm chilling with you guys. Get to finally talk to Karina <laughs> for have a moment. So it's good. I know right? we first met like three years ago now, maybe, and yeah. I've been trying to link up since then. And this is the first time. Since then, you know, we had a we had a quick moment in New York at, at at dinner. You were having a dinner with Jeremy. Oh yeah, that's right. And your movie hadn't come out yet. My movie hadn't come out yet, and you were doing some. I guess you can say now, Gossip Girl. I think. Right? Yeah, I was doing some reshoots on the pilot that is now coming out in a week. So I guess those reshoots went all right. <laughs> yeah, great. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. That's well, this, this interview is not about me. This interview is about you. Damn it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> See that pivot? I was trying to throw that pivot. I right. know. You was, you was trying to swerve. Yeah. Obi-1, 1, 2. Um, so where are you right now, Nabil? I know you said you're in L.A. And where were you before that? Uh, I'm in Topanga. I moved to Topanga, which has been an amazing thing that happened to me thankfully um i found a new place by the ocean that was a lot more like where i grew up um i was in costa rica right before that trying to clear my mind post movie and surf and just tap out for a second so that 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 worked and then i'm further trying to tap out here but in the middle of home construction and whatnot but um super happy is that like a normal process for you after after a project you book a vacation for yourself? Never ever <laughs> in my life. This this is new, you know, this is the new beginnings of I have to do this. Um especially long-term projects, but just in general like I've never given myself breaks. I've always kind of gone back to back to back to back for like 20 years or try to use the next job as a uh, 
sort of a vacation vibe, but it never ends up being. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I get, I have amazing moments and I get to travel around the world, but to actually go with no intention of any work is kind of special and new. Mm. I'm glad you're getting that time for yourself. No, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's super important. I tell Karina all the time, you know, like yourself, I've, I've been in this business for a while, um, coming up with X and we just didn't believe in vacations. We always thought like, like to your point, you'd be like, oh, we're traveling. That's like a workation, but a workation is not a vacation. It's not being unplugged. It's not just literally zooming out and just allowing yourself to hit reset. And especially now at my fine age, I'm now appreciating that more now that I'm a family man, um, understanding the importance of, of really recharging your soul. Because if not, it's just, you're just defeating the purpose of really getting your head straight and uh, refocused um, before you go back into the ring. I was just going to say, it, get back in the ring is really real. Like it's, it's real. <laughs> totally. I find if I don't give myself a day, half a day, eight hours of sleep in between jobs, I see that my attitude towards the project is not as at its most positive. And so it's, I'm finding where I can set the boundary and give myself some time. Yeah. And I, I'm two years, I haven't been drinking. And that was another even level of like that eight hours. Cause I would ha- give myself those eight hours, but you know, you wrap it, you wrap a shoot and you go have drinks and that's two days of like, not really recharging. Yeah. And and it catches up. So I feel you on that and even to the next level. So you talked about, you know, briefly about surfing. Like, let us know what's up about that. Because as I read, you are Australian, American, Iranian, and you're mm. a surfer. So like that is a, a beautiful mix. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a mind mind fuck i don't know if i'm allowed to swear you can bleep, bleep me but definitely Love yourself okay yeah it's a total mind fuck because even <laughs> if i'm if i'm around australians or english people even those moments might i have to like focus on not slipping into different accents <laughs> and, which is super weird but um you know I, i'm blessed to have the uh especially the Persian Iranian side have that culture growing up and having, you know, different viewpoint and different kind of upbringing, but then mixing that and living in Australia, which is super small and um, a whole different mindset. And then traveling around since I was young, I've been bouncing around the world unknowingly just because my parents did that. And Mm. just, um, it's been amazing and, surfing in the mix of that I don't know how to throw that in there but that is the greatest gift I've really I've really in the last couple of years that's kind of like my getaway surfing is kind of the most magical thing it's until you surf it's hard to even explain but you're you're walking on water you're in you're in the ocean surrounded by nature like it's something special to be in the beautiful ocean but then when you have a moving body of water that you can catch and ride it's just like the most amazing, exhilarating feeling that I feel cures almost everything. It, it would even cure a hangover. I'm going to need to catch a surf then. I'm a little hungover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. 
I, I, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, I got, I got, I got some long boards and, and patience. So I feel like you need a lot of patience for that. No, I could teach you pretty quick. As long as, you know, like you just got to be slightly fearless to get in the ocean with the cold and the waves. And then once you're in there, it's like, it's, it's almost an innate thing. You just got to feel comfortable. And I push you into the wave, you get up and then you're addicted. It's over. Mm. That's wild. I think my first time falling in love, well, just watching surfing, was uh, watching Point Break. Um, the original Point Break, by the way, uh, with, with Patrick Swayze and, and Keanu Reeves. Yeah. And just watching that whole culture and lifestyle of just losing themselves in the water. And it's like, it's kind of you and God and this body of, body, this massive body of water where it's kind of like, it's literally living on, on the wild side. Um, have you ever had any scary moments surfing? Like really get fucked oh, up? Oh, so many. Oh yeah, real bad. So, like one that put me out of surfing for like six years. What? Um, Seriously. But I, yeah, I mean, there's a place called The Wedge which is just, in a, if you Google it, you'll see some crazy ass waves and it breaks right on the shore. And I remember catching a wave and just going with the lip and which is the top of the wave and, you know, 15 foot, 20 foot drop onto like basically dry sand. And I was buckled and I didn't even understand how bad I hurt myself because it crept up over a few months. And then I kind of, yeah, it caught up with me. But I think there was many, many of those occasions that like, it's surfing, it's your life. So you just throw yourself out there and you don't realize how much your body takes. Mm. Um, and I never really did anything. But now I'm so much more aware. And You know, it was also like when I was a kid, I was the worst surfer of my friends. They were, my friends were so good. Like some of them became pro professional surfers and some of the best in the world. So I was the worst one. So I would throw myself five times as hard just to try to impress them. <laughs> you know like just try to be that dude and I was that guy and yeah now I'm not that guy now I'm just super mellow super <laughs> mellow with with the uh, you know with the the camera handle and the photography handle so where did that come about I actually started my career with uh surfing so really that's what I was yeah yeah I was the guy in the water with the camera so from also being crazy and throwing myself over the waves, the other part of it was they needed, they were all so good, so they needed somebody to take photos of them. And I was the, you know, the guy that wasn't as good, so I really started learning how to use the camera. So, and I'll show you actually, it's funny. I got it behind me. I finally bought a new one, and I hadn't had one for like 10 years, but this is my, uh, my bad boy. So you would, uh, and I've headbutted this thing and cut my eye open a few times because when the waves wow. they put your camera, yeah, you put your camera in there, you put some fins on, and you just so you're out there in the water and basically just holding this thing and trying to look through it, trying to swim, trying to get the right shot and not get smacked in the face or <laughs> knocked out by a wave. But beautiful, you get amazing photos. I'll, I'll send you a couple eventually so you guys can show the people's the weird ass shots I used to take. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing sounds like to me equivalent to flow state as a as an artist, trying not to get knocked out by the wave, trying to be one with the wave and and find the magic in that. Yeah, it's a, it's it's almost like a meditative thing when you're under the water and you're seeing 
this, the refraction of the water either hit the sandbar or the reef. And you can see it and you got to be in the right position. You got to reach over. You got to not, you got to be in the right position for the surfer doesn't hit you. You don't ruin the wave. You don't hit the surfer. It's like a full, like everything coming together to get that perfect shot. And it's kind of, it's pretty magical. It's like, it's one of those things they say only a surfer knows, but it's only a surfer really, really knows that feeling. You have to send us some shots. Yeah. Wow, I got to go in the archives. Here we go. <laughs> you got it. So then, so then from going from shooting still photography in the water, what was the next step for you in your process? Was it now like, you know, when did you start getting into other t- forms of photography? Well, I, fa- well, I failed. For, like, here's the other crazy thing is in Australia, they failed me in photography. <laughs> so, so because I failed photography... It kind of was a trickle down for you guys call it the GED or do you, what do you call it here? Yeah. You know, the, like the high school graduation, whatever that is. Right. Yeah. I, it basically gave me the, like, I kind of failed because of that failure. So my parents decided that I need to move back to America to live with my mom. So they shipped me away from the ocean and my mom lived in Chicago. So surf photography, unless I would go to Hawaii, which I would do to go do it. I was kind of like in the middle of America. So that's when I started shooting. Like first it was DJs, like mm-hmm. house DJs. Then it was bands. And then it was Kanye. <laughs> that's okay, wild. you got to tell us the Kanye story. I know you must have been asked that a hundred times. Yeah. But, and you told yeah, me a little yeah. bit about it, but you got to tell us the Kanye story for the listeners who have not heard yeah. this story. For a while, it was kind of like I felt a little embarrassed by it, but now it's just... That's how like life works. But yeah, I was I remember I was working for this DJ and I remember being he had a computer for me so I could I would there was a photographer, I remember, Jonathan Mannion, who's an amazing he's one of the he's the, one of the biggest legends. And he the DJ I worked for would hire him because the DJ loved all his shots of Jay and DMX. He shot all those most iconic photos you've probably ever seen. In the blood and stuff. Shout out to Jonathan, that's my guy. Oh yeah, he's the man. And I remember, like, uh, I was scanning in the negatives because he would shoot six seven, he'd shoot six six five, all these amazing old films. And I would look at the negatives and I'm like, man, this guy's amazing. Um, I know I sidetracked, but it just reminded me. Shout out Jonathan Mannion because I got to assist him on one shoot. Um, what he was doing for this thing and I ended up being like the locations guy I was like oh no I got all these because I knew what he wanted and I was like I got all these locations that would be real good he ended up loving the locations and using those locations but um when I was scanning in those shots I remember somewhere around that time I was I I heard a mixtape of Kanye and I was such a hip-hop head since I was a kid um and I started looking him up on the internet and um I couldn't really find too much about him and then I, I was like, you know, I'll just go to his website. So I went to KanyeWest.com and it's like, you can buy it for 12 bucks. And I was like, because I wanted to work with this dude. I was like, he's in Chicago. I want to go work with him. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm spending 12 bucks. So I spent 12. I was like, if I don't do it, someone else will. So I bought it for 12 bucks. And I remember trying to find him. I couldn't find him. And then as luck goes, about three weeks later, this guy, John Bartleson at Rockefeller Records, is like, hey, we just signed this artist named Kanye West. We see that you're the guy listed as the owner because I put my phone number and everything. Ignorant early me. Um, <laughs> and he's like, what do you, he's like, how much you want? Because he thought I was like a squatter. I was like, no, man, I'm good. Like, you can have it. 
I just want to work with this guy. And he's like, all right, um, anything else? And I was like, no, I just want to, you know, I really want to shoot this guy. So he called Don C and Kanye and, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour later, I got a call and we're doing a photo shoot a couple days later. That's wild. Yeah. I remember I had, I, I, yeah, I had a studio on Sacramento and Lake in the West side and it was kind of sketchy air. It was super sketchy at the time. Um, and I remember even Don going like, your studio's where? I was like, no, it's cool. It's chill. And we went there and (laughs) it was, they were, they were like, yo man. All right, cool. And we did the shoot and it was, you know, hit one, pretty much one of his first press shoots. They ended up using it for everything. It was like the shots with him with the Louis backpack and the red sweater mm. and a bunch of other different setups that I'll get you some of those so you can check out. But yeah, since then, I ended up helping him make his first website um, and, you know, shooting every tour, every significant moment. I shot his wedding. I shot pretty much everything for the last you know, until the Pablo tour and a couple of times after that for low key moments. But I was, you know, eventually we'll do a couple of books. We did one book together, but, you know, from then I shot everyone. That was the spark. That was definitely a spark. And it was, you know, it was the right partner. You know what I mean? It was like God doing his thing, I guess. Yeah, that sounds definitely divinely orchestrated. Yeah, I look back, you know, each... Each year you go through life another year and you look back it's like, yo, that shit is really crazy. <laughs> I don't know if many people can say they, they were able to, to buy their shot for $12. <laughs> I, I, I pray and I pray that many other young creatives can get that spark for 12 bucks because I tell you these college tuitions are ridiculous and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so... In terms of that collaboration um, from shooting his his still stuff, what was the first music video that you shot with Kanye? It was actually like a really like a three thousand dollar video called "Throw Some D's Remix." Oh shit! You did that? Was, yeah, That's like crazy. in my garage. No, like literally <laughs> in my garage. Like the garage, <laughs> the garage studio part of it was like half garage, half studio that I had downtown in Chinatown, and then yeah, it was um, it was super lo-fi. And then he just threw that at me, and then I, then I did another video for the Black Eyed Peas called Like That. Yeah. And when he saw that, he's like, "Oh, okay, you want to do a video, video?" And <laughs> even vid- even video, video was still like. BC record, which was Welcome to Heartbreak. That was like, you know, here's, I showed him this thing I want to do, like a couple samples. And he was like, oh, okay, that's tight. Yeah. How much can you do it for? And I was like, uh, $50,000. And he's like, $50,000, bro. I was like, uh, 40000 Um, I don't remember what it ended up costing, but somewhere around there. But for him at the time, he was doing like, you know, Jesus, you know, he had done Jesus Walks and all these other iconic things. And yeah, he was, he was. That- he was platinum Kanye. And to me, it's like, you know, that video for me, for the 808s album, you really brought him that edge. Um, the shit felt... Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah, you, you just brought this really weird... I love the lo-fi about that. And I think that's what really opened it up for you with uh, the, the other artists, right? Kanye's an artist. So people are like, ah, oh, they purposely did this shit. They wanted it to look like they didn't spend no money. But it worked for the aesthetic of the album. 
right? It, it, you know, it yeah. wasn't the shiny shit. It wasn't the hype. No, no, no shots of hype, but it wasn't the, you know, like super, super overly produced over the top video. It's like you're taking it back to what the essence of the record is, right? He's in pain. He's suffering. and the Deconstruction. Yeah. That's what the feeling I wanted was to things tearing apart and breaking and re, rebirth. And um, yeah, it was, that was just a big experiment, that video. That was like working backwards because of that data moshing thing. You actually have to like keyframe something, run it, and then go and almost go backwards. It's like analog. So you would do it, you'd, and then you'd have to, and then I would have to try to create a transition because I didn't want it to just be like transition, transition. I wanted to create different elements and mix it up. So it was just a big experiment. And then we did Paranoid after that for the same album with Rihanna, which was in that same garage studio that I shot the other one. Or at least part of it was. Yeah, I shot like all these miniatures and a car. Like those were real miniatures and built this whole thing. That's crazy. You're taking it back to the essence. <laughs> yeah. So like, yep. so in terms of working with Kanye in that, on that album, those visuals, like how was he as a collaborator? Tough, but amazing. You know, because those things were the low budget and less thought out, it was, I actually had a freedom, I think, that no one else really had. Where it was like, all right, Nabil, go do your thing. And come back and make sure it's good. Uh. And I remember Paranoid, it took, it took a couple rounds to get it there. Like, it took an edit or two and then like, no, I need you to add these miniatures. Hey, Willow, show them some miniature references, da-da-da-da. And then I would go remake like a little set with miniatures and add those elements. And then, because I had already done the projection stuff. So yeah, it was good though because he pushed me because the video wouldn't have been, at least that video, Welcome to Heartbreak was what it was. I handed it to him and it was finished. But Paranoid, I remember him, you know, he pushed me and then even the titles and stuff, putting those titles in. Like I had the whole thing with the bed and her lifting and the playing with perspective. But then he's like, yo, let's put some titles in here. And at first I was like, ah, and then it all worked. You know, he pushes things. He's really good at like, not letting it go until, and that's something that I think I carried with me. was like not settling for ever what it is, like pushing it further and further until I'm generally feel like it's the best it can be mm-hmm. without, you know, you have, you know, Korean, you have time restraints and you have commitments and labels. So you have it at some point, you really got to turn it in, mm-hmm. but I'll push it to the last moment. I'll be adding grain and sharpening like the morning of the YouTube premiere. yeah wow and i do it myself on my laptop every video i finish there's never been a video that i haven't finished on my laptop like every last well i mean since we've had you know before laptops i wasn't doing that but in the last 15 years i've been i do the last process in premiere now or it was final cut and i would chop it up i'd add the grain sharpening do a final color tweak no matter what, just because I know when you're on that laptop, it looks different than any color set room you're in. It looks different than any monitor you're looking at. The end goal is it's going to mostly be on people's laptops, so I got to finish it that way. I think a lot of musicians kind of do that with their sound too. It's like smart. Make sure they compress it and run it through those shitty speakers. Smart. And speaking of Kanye, the Mercy video. Oh yeah, 
that shit was fucking. <laughs> you, that is such a incredible thing, statement yeah. that you just said. Fuck, I forgot about that one. That is incredible. <laughs> we yeah. didn't forget about mercy. <laughs> Yo, I remember yeah, that was fun. That was that was my freestyle. Yeah, that video oh, yeah. to me, hardcore, uh, raw performance. Can you speak to that? Just speak to that whole experience. Um, working with all those artists and then that space, man, I just felt like it was just kind of Afro-futuristic, you know, uh, Warriors underground parking lot area. Like, it's I'm like, I'm, I might just completely ruin everything for you. <laughs> I flew to Qatar because he was shooting this um, short film with Cuddy for that Cruel Summer album. Right. And he's like, and he's like, yo, I need you. You know, and as soon as I land, he's like, yo, tonight we're shooting Mercy. And I was like, bro, I just got here from the airport. What are you talking about? He's like, no, we need to shoot Mercy tonight. So there's this elaborate, like, nouveau, weird palace in Qatar where they're shooting their thing. And I was like, bro, this is not right. So I'm scouring this, like, crazy property. And I went down into some random garage. And there was this, it's black and white, but it, in real life, it's, it's a bright red stripe and it's a white, bright, awkward thing. And I was like, but then I saw the way the pillars were. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, and then I went upstairs. I was like, go, oh, can I, can I borrow one of those Lambos? So we took the Lambo down. I, I placed it in the middle and I just happened to gratefully, luckily, whatever that word is, have a head, just a real cheap, not like motion control, just like a tripod, like a head for shooting time lapses at night. So it just goes like this to this. Mm. And I asked, and I asked my friend Josh Reese, who's a DP with him, I was like, yo, can we make sure it does the same move every time? He's like, kind of. I was like, whatever, let's do it. So I just kind of pitched it to Kanye and them. Were like, I don't, he, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just do it. <laughs> so I, put, I put the camera there. And, I had, and the craziest thing is I remember, apart from like, well, first of all, I had to tell everyone, do not touch the camera. Because, like, you know, they'll all run over and want to see their performance. I was like, you don't understand. Do not touch the camera or the whole thing is ruined. So it was like half the time was me like guarding this camera like this and then running back. And like if Big Sean was there, I would like cue a point. I have a good memory. So I'd cue a point in my head where he did this move. Then I'd run over there with a piece of tape, put it on the ground and say, all right, do the performance again. But when you hit that point, imagine you were there like this and then roll up behind yourself and come out of yourself. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking? Just trust me. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, it was mathematics. And then it was like, all right, so you're over here, two chains. Imagine Ye's here. And Ye, when you hit this mark here, come out of the wall. Like, if you look at it again, you'll see like just those weird things that I had to tell them to do. And the little marks. Well, I took well, the marks off. But Well, that was the brilliance about the video. Because it's like, I was looking at it, like how are they coming in? And the fact that you you pulled this off on such short notice, that's the kind of shit that you have to map out like weeks and make sure, okay, hit that point, hit that mark. Here's the, 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 the fact that you freestyle that, that's insane yeah. because I thought for sure you guys did rehearsals, rehearsals for continuity and making sure that the talent is hitting those marks every time you're cutting as the camera is going by them. Like the fact that you did that just off the head is insane. Yeah, and you said you said one word that stuck with me, which is trust. I think that that is a testament to the trust that he and you had 
from your past experiences. And I think that's him pushing you, as you said, but also a degree of you pushing him. And I think yeah, true. It's, it's really interesting that you say that that happened in the spur of the moment, because what I really appreciate about your work, all of your work, is that it is so intentional. And I can see that you are a perfectionist because I can, I only get to see the final product as a viewer. And I'm like, this shit is perfect. It's literally perfect. But I think what I love most as a, as a pure fan is that every piece of work that you create, whether it's, it's um, a music video, whether it's your still work and now film, you always create a, a, a feeling. There's always a feeling that I experience as a viewer. It's a visceral feeling to me, whether it's, you know, in your more complex videos that have multiple setups like Pyramid, Frank Ocean, or DNA, Kendrick, or it's your, you know, uh, more pared down, simplified concepts like the joint you just did for Billie Eilish and Rosalia, or one of your first videos for Frank. Um, I feel like there's always uh, a feeling and an intention and a honesty to it. So my question is, do you approach each project with the intention to create that feeling or is it found along the way? Thank you so much, Karina, for the very kind words. Um, yeah, you know what? It reveals itself along the way. But each one, as you know, each one is so different. And, you know, you don't, you want to do, and I noticed you do the same thing. It's like you want to do something different every time. You don't yeah. want to repeat what you've already done. You want to try new things. You want to experiment. And then each song is different. So each song has its own feeling. And then you have your own emotional state and how that music, you know, plays off of your own emotions. So yeah. uh, driving is the best place I come up with ideas. I, I, I drive. I blast the music. Um, and, you know, things come and I pull over on the side of the road and I'll write notes or I'll write an email and, hit cancel, save, so that it's in my drafts, and then somehow I'll lose <laughs> it and then figure it out later. But, yeah, no, I, each one's different. And sometimes, you know, my goal is always to make something that I hope will complement the song and really not take away from it. I've said it before, so I don't want to be redundant, but I don't. My goal is um, to just make sure I can at least complement or amplify in some way the feeling like the worst thing you could do as a director is make a something that takes away from a beautiful song. And, you know, mm -hmm. I choose to work on songs that mean something to me or I, or at least I can feel something and, you know, to come up with the idea. I've had amazing songs sent to me and I just couldn't connect to them and I couldn't come up with the right idea. Or I've had songs that maybe I didn't love, but I was like, oh, I get it. Like, I don't really want to name those, but fuck it. Um, <laughs> like, the Bauer, you know, it's like, it was like a techno-y song. Like, I don't really listen to techno, but I heard that Bauer song featuring Jay, and I shot in India. And I, it was like, I could 
see it unfold. Like I was like, this could be cool with kid warriors somewhere in the world. So I looked up ancient, you know, martial arts, and I found out that in Kerala, in India, it's the old one of the oldest, even you know, predating some Chinese martial arts. But in India, they have these crazy martial arts that go back thousands of years, and they're still practicing it in this little place in Kerala, India. And I happened to meet a can- fellow Canadian named Che Kothari, mm-hmm. um, who's an awesome, awesome guy, uh, and Mariga, his wife, girlfriend, wife, maybe. Um, and they happened, my friend Saul connected me with them, another Canadian. Um, Kena. So I was like, yo, Kena. <laughs> exactly, Saul guy. Yeah, so, my guy. Um, Saul's like, yo, you got to, you know, Che, I think was married in this place. And I hit up and I hit him up. I was like, can you find him? And he's like, yo, he's there right now. So he got married in this place in Kerala where these kids do this thing that I looked up. And it was just one of those things of the, the whole world aligning and stars aligning. So I went, flew to India with um, an amazing DP, Chase Irvin. And mm-hmm. we just went with the camera. And I put a story together that I had no clue if it was going to work out, but it, had, it was a good, you know, that's one thing I do too, is you come up with an idea and then when you see a location or something, you kind of like, the a, idea will involve, evolve, you know what I mean? Because you'll be like, oh, this thing could happen here or this. these kids actually go, you know, their dad works at this bar and a lot of people get drunk there. So I wrote this little thing, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the question was, but I remember I went to India and made a cool video for a song that I thought was <laughs> It's probably not my normal choice of music. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that I have never seen a, an instance in your work where you have taken away from the song at all. I think, in all honesty, to me, your legacy does not just involve elevating a song, but it, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but <laughs> your legacy involves elevating the art of music video to a degree that you've you've taken the medium and have transformed it in your work to be film and i can remember when i when i started on my journey my goal was always film and tv but i am very impatient in all honesty and so i wanted to learn story quickly learn how to tell a story quickly and uh, do it in a very short amount of time, quite literally on screen. And I looked at, you know, your work, Melina's work, X's work, and I felt like, okay, that's a lane that I can see myself in because it was these little big films in the form of a music video. And that, to me, is attributed to your vision and your heart. Thank you so much. That's the greatest probably uh, compliment I could get. And, you know, and real, real, like, cause it's hard. Cause it's weird for me to hear it. Cause I separate, you know, I'm, you know, I want to be humble and stuff, but I'm like, I have done a lot of shit. And <laughs> that I, I have really worked a lot and worked hard and put my everything into everything. Mm. And I'm blessed to have been able to do that. And, um, it's wild how much I've been able to make. And the fact that, you know, you saw the essence of what I was trying to do, is I really appreciate it. And you yourself have gone zero to a thousand real quick. 
<laughs> my God. <laughs> I remember seeing like, wow, you were just popping them out. I think you must have really done your due diligence of, you know, like taking that path and saying, you know, I'm going to do that. And you really like, it took me a long time to catch that rhythm. And um, yeah, so I'm psyched that you, you know, you had these great people too, like X and Melina, who, whose work I, you know, I looked up, you know, X's work since I was young, before I even thought I would even be a director. You know what I mean? Like, it's so weird. It's weird, like, to have a conversation. Like, the fact that you, like, we're friends now, but it's like the fact that you looked at my work and you loved it or liked it or whatever, responded to it, is weird, wild, weird. It's not weird, but it's like, man, that's the same thing I had with X, like, seeing his mm-hmm. work and, like, and then even rediscovering some of his work is like this, you know, he's had different rounds of himself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he had way, way, way back. And then after, later on, then he had the Sean Paul and that world. And then now he has a whole another round, you know, he dipped into so many different realms and he's been doing it forever, but it's like, it's a testament. And it's so cool to be able to be in the company of people like him and Melina and others that, you know, it's like, fuck. I'm one of those people. One hundred percent. And one thing I noticed, Nabil, outside of you know tying in culture um, as a big piece into your work, martial arts plays a big part into your work as well too. Um, you know, if it's the, the well, I'm going to throw a couple of references out, like the the SZA, uh Kendrick, uh, I believe, does in the wind. Oh that to God, me is right. like some. You remember you did that, right? <laughs> Let's let us tell you what you've done. <laughs> yeah, martial arts. That's some low key. Like I failed at karate when I was a kid, and I really wanted to badly. So this is keep going. No, this is great. Well, you failed at photography, and it panned out. And you failed at you know martial arts, and it, it worked out. Um, so with that, even in the Frank Ocean uh, video, which was it? Which one was it? He's wearing the. Uh, He's a samurai oh, yeah, sword and he's swim running. Swim good. Right. Yeah. Swim good. Thank you. So it's like, you know, and, and then of course, DNA Kendrick. So is did you watch up? Did you grow up watching like Hong Kong cinema? Like when I was growing up, I watched Shaw Brothers and, and Golden Harvest, nah. you know, Jackie Chang, Samu Hung. Nothing. No. You just, nah, just connected I would with just it. really did it when I was a kid because it's kind of like therapy right now. You're kind of like making me go back and thinking of my childhood right now, thinking of mm. things that made I didn't do well at, or, you know, I used to do it with my dad. That was a way that we bonded was like, he was really good at, well, he was okay at karate and I was kind of okay. I could jump, I could do the jumping roll really far, like over six kids when I was like six. So that was pretty gangster, but no, <laughs> I, gave up. I did, you know what it is, is I get, I did so many things cause I moved around so much as a kid that I did a lot of things and I never really had the time to get good at it because mm. I would move or whatever. So it's like maybe a lot of these things of my past are, co- are coming into my memories and then maybe subliminally coming into my ideas and work. Mm. I've never thought about that. So thank you for that. No, I mean, I can remember before even meeting you a few years ago, just taking in your work and feeling like, wow, this guy's imagination is on fire. Um, 
What's your fascination with magical realism? It feels like that's the constant, yeah. the constant between all of your work. I don't know. I like, I like dreaming. I like the idea of like coming up with things. And music does that to me. Music takes me somewhere else when I hear it. So I think music can be an escape. I don't want it to feel like it's a neg. I don't know how to explain negative or positive connotation, but like it's an escape. It's a, it's a place where you can zone out of wherever you're at and feel something innate. So mm-hmm. I think I just took that and I zone out when I hear something I love and I close my eyes and I just think of things and I try to imagine things. And mm-hmm. um, Sometimes I have to push harder. Sometimes they just come to me and sometimes it, it takes a while and then I have to come back to it or I just think of the most basic thing and then try to run off of it. I think that's what I realize some of the best things is like just one thing that comes to your head and then just kind of like letting that marinate a little bit and then just riffing and then playing the song again and again and then um, going. And I don't, sometimes actually, I don't even, I can hear a song once and there's the whole idea in my head and I just write it down and I don't listen to the song until I'm editing. Um, But I like magic realism. Yeah, I like magic realism. I think that's just that if I'm making something that's, four minutes long and I'm working with something beautiful, I want to just take you somewhere else. I want to make mm-hmm. something that takes you whether it's a little kid in Iceland with a magical stick in his mem- in his ideas or, you know, a guy running away from arrows with nobody chasing him. It's just like take you somewhere else and make you feel some kind of a emotion, I guess. Yeah, man, that's the beauty of storytelling. You get to transcend a different spaces and places and be different people and explore different yeah. ideas. Um, and you definitely have given us that time and time again. Thank you. Yeah. It's, we're so lucky to be able to do that. You know, it's like we get, to, you know, you get to go to Jamaica, Hawaii, um, <laughs> all these magical places and just shoot amazing things. And it's like, I think a lot of what I do too. And I, I could tell you do it too. is like, where do I want to shoot? Where do I want to go? Where do I really want to go? Like writing ideas. That's, that's such a blessing as a, as a director. It's like um, for music videos, it's like we can go anywhere. My goal, if you look at most of my videos, probably like 10% of them have ever been shot in LA. I go to <laughs> Iceland, Morocco, Colombia, wherever I can. Mm. I'm like writing, like just get me away and let, and nature. I love nature. Nature, like, is the best um, art direction there is. Like, there's nothing more. There's no production designer that can make, you know, a beautiful forest or a crazy iceberg or whatever it is. Like, like those things just give you an emotion that's already built in and that is free. So I try to flex mm-hmm. nature as much as I can and the beauty and magic of nature. But it also, it's interesting, it goes back to what you were saying about wanting to do something different every time because you can look at your work and see that, sure, you have shot in nature many times, but they all still are tailored to the artist or the song or the aesthetic or the vibe that you're communicating and... I think that's that's a that's a skill set. That's a that's a definite skill set. 
yeah, I've thankfully had, I guess now, like 15, 14 years of practice. So I've <laughs> definitely more, but it was, I traveled since I was so young. So that was just one of those things, but I appreciate that. And, um, I'm going to keep, like, I love videos. I'm going to keep doing videos. That's something like, you know, I get to that point where I'm like, ah, oh, I need, I can't do it. I'm done with videos. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm done with videos. I'm going to do film TV. And then someone sends me a great song. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, let's do it. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you, do you imagine yourself doing more videos? Yeah. I don't think I'll ever truly leave that space. I love the creative freedom of music videos. I love getting together with my friends and being able to tell a story that's going to reach a wide audience and and potentially shift someone's perspective in that wide audience through a two-minute, maybe five-minute video. Um, and so I think I will always have a love for it, despite it not being my focus at the moment. Yeah, it, it will. I can tell. I can tell you're the type of director that you'll always go back to those moments of doing it. You're definitely on that journey of film and TV, which is the ultimate. You know, it's like that's the that's the end. Like that was never my dream as a kid. I was never even thought oh, I was no. going to be a director. No, I had. I didn't go to school or anything like that. I just didn't. I just I went with the flow, like as a photographer, and then I had the chance to do a video, and then I did commercial and then I was like I want to do a movie you know it's just the natural progression you want to do and then after you do a movie I guess TV's the the final thing which I'm excited to maybe one do one day I'm developing a bunch of TV um maybe. I don't know I'm uh, I'm developing as a, as a producer right now so whether what I'm going to direct but I'm excited just to like sit back and kind of let the process happen this is, I'm in a new place in my life where I'm really I, I pushed so hard with music videos, you know, and why well, not so I didn't push so hard. I pushed so hard with my film mm-hmm. and it was just such a training process. But yeah, I just realized after this process, I need to go with the flow more. Like mm-hmm. I've been pushing in everything I do, like pushing to make sure the video is the best it can be, pushing to make sure I work with the best musicians that I love or not the best musicians, but musicians I love making sure Every piece of it, like you're saying, like I have, I have, I am a bit of a perfectionist (laughs) and and that, and that, and that comes with an extra level of stress that I'm like, Mm. I'm good on that. I'm good. Well, we got to talk about your film now. We hundred percent have to have to talk about Gully because I read or I saw in your story, you reposted somebody else's post that said it was 10 years in the making or maybe even longer. It was around, it was a bit less than that. I think it was like seven or eight years. Well, tell um, me about that process. How did you get the script? You know, a lot of people don't know how long it takes to develop a film and to finally get a film made, finance, then shot, then distributed, and then, you know, to our screens. So tell me about the process. This was like a life-changing experience that I had to go through. It was like, well, it, it took at least seven years. It started off with a guy at the Bowery Hotel who came up to me and said, I've been, you know, oh, you're in the I've been trying to get you the script. And I was like, you know, sure, okay, bro. Like, cool. I was in that early stages of like 
thinking about doing film and was like sending me the script and then you know not knowing when I was going to read it or if I was going to read it but um somehow the next day I was slightly hung over and decided I was like oh yeah I got that script I'll just stay in bed and read that and I read the initial version of Gully and I was just like okay <laughs> I gotta make this yeah and I, and I do and I did what I do. It's like I set a goal and I stick to it. And my goal was like, I'm not making a film until I make this film. And mm. it was tough. It was tough. It wasn't, it was not easy. And a lot, it was nonstop just in the boxing ring. Mm. Even till now, still, I'm still slightly in the boxing ring because I'm trying to figure out international when it's coming out and then i'm finding out that it's hitting uk on monday and monday i was i was i had set up with soho houses all around the uk and europe that they were going to do things and i was trying to set that up but then i found out on friday or two days ago sorry that it's monday so i can't even go and do that when they've already set it up bunches of things that just never stop but i feel like it was all a lesson in a humility and b Mm. Um, process and you know there were so many roadblocks around uh, on the way and I'm grateful for all of it to be honest it couldn't have been done any other way I wish more eyes could be on it I wish the critics weren't critics and I wish um, Mm. people could judge for themselves because I put uh, my heart I put a lot of myself into that Mm. in different levels of myself but I'm I'm happy that it's done and out there in the world, and I'm 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 proud of it, and I think it'll have its time when its time will be. Right. But yeah, it was, it was rough. So talk to us about the producers that came on, the crazy cast that you got attached. Like, how did that all come about? I know it's been a long process for you, but you know, of course, you being, you know, a long time collaborator with Travis, and then for him to be on the film project with you was probably like a natural fit. But then bringing in you know, the Terrence Howards, the Jonathan Majors. Like, how did that all come about? I'd love to hear that uh, backstory. Travis, that was years ago. That was like, I gave, you know, years ago, I told him about the script and years ago he read it. He's like, I want to be this. I want to be in the film. I was like, yeah, cool, bro, whatever. You know, and <laughs> as, time, as time goes by and Travis becomes one of the biggest artists in the world, timing, age, there's so many different things that changed. So... Um, he wasn't, he was originally going to be Calvin, but, uh, timing, you know, he was, he was younger. Um, and, uh, obviously we shot it three years, three or four years, even after we had first discussed it, like he knew about this shit like years ago. Um, so when the time came and he was on tour, so just found the spot for him to put him in the film, which when you do see it, you'll see. And he came in in like two hours and crushed it. And then after that, he wanted to do more. And I was like, I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to. Like, yeah, it it would just wouldn't have worked with the shooting schedule because it just became like, you know, it was 20 days, 20 days in L.A. And, you know, a $2.2 million budget, which might sound like a lot for a lot of people, but that's nothing in L.A. That's nothing. That's including cast and everyone. Wow. yeah, maybe 2.5, somewhere around there. But like that in LA goes real quick. But it was awesome because that gave me constraints. And it gave, a, you know, a, an energy to even the way I had to shoot and had to work with people. Like the craziest thing was when, and 
if you do get a chance to see the film, is like I had to, sh- and I don't know how. Like this is one of those producer things. Like what the fuck? Like I'm producing my shit from now on. Mm. I shot the last scene the first day. Oh gosh! Like I had to shoot that last scene the first day, and actually, now that I think about it, I take that back about the producers to some degree. But like it worked out. But mm. like you know, first day we're actors and meeting each other. And you're going into the final scene in your film, trying to throw every emotion and even just trying to understand each other on like a set. It was like, yo, they threw me in the deep end, like really threw me in the deep end the first day. And then that, I guess, set the tone for what, you know, moving forward, which was, I guess, a blessing. But at the time, I was like, what do you mean I'm shooting? Like, because it changed the day before. It's like, no, we got to shoot this the first day. I was like, what do you, I can't even comprehend what you're talking yeah, chronologically, it must have yeah. been like a my fuck, right? <laughs> and I'm also kind of used to, and I wanted to try as much as I can, which you know, Karina will never pretty much ever pan out, but I was trying to shoot as much chronologically as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but that kept changing, you know, like the weather, there's so many different variables that come into play that, you know, you got, I was rewriting every day for different things. And I was, you know, the part in the film where it's raining, I had to come up with a fake look to the sky and then figure out how I could shoot <laughs> and sound and make things and like how, yeah. Anyway, none of that made sense to you, but in my head, it all made sense. No, it definitely makes sense. And I think what's what's crazy is that you say it's 2.2. That was your budget because you definitely expanded that on screen. I think the edit and the visual style is... Um, a really strong example of your sensibility because it's it's very uniquely shot and 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 I would say a non-traditional way the way that you've covered the scenes the way that the edit comes together I remember watching the I'm not going to no spoilers for the listeners but there's a scene in a video game store with Travis right Yeah and the emotion that you feel when you're watching that sequence and you have these crazy match cuts of the, your three characters and and then Travis's character interrupting their uh their moment together it's just you create this very very i would say visceral reaction as you have done time and time again in your music videos and that translated to film did you work with the same DP? Did you work with the, the same editor that you've previously worked with before? Are these new collaborators? How, tell us about that process. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the DP knows the first time, but I was a big fan of Adriana Coleman. He was like, he's amazing. He shot Sinambre. He shot all Carrie Fuganaga's early work. He, he shot some great Brazilian TV based on City of God. And then he shot The Crown. That was what he was shooting when he took time off to come shoot this little independent film in LA so he had just won like the ASC award for the crown and then I was like all right bro you ready to go to the trenches you ready to like (laughs) you know basically have you know we're doing things for you know like you're not we didn't have all those tools you know we kept it which it was it worked for this like I wanted I didn't want to make another music video I wanted to make a film but I wanted to use some of the things that I had, like you're saying, that I had done in my career and brought my skills to help, you know, heighten emotions. But my editor, Damien Clayton, 
was a guy I've been working with for the last few years. And, and it's his first film too, you know. Oh, wow. And, the, you know, the whole thing is pretty unorthodox in, as yeah. a film. It's really like, it's not your normal movie, <laughs> for sure. And I knew it. That's why I was like, I wanted to make this. It's like, it says things in a different way. And I think that's what drew me to making it, was like making a film that I could bring myself to and um, and try new things and do things differently. And I think it was interesting to work with Damien, too, who's my editor, and us, us both go on this journey together. Hmm. I can imagine it was a emotionally taxing process, just, of course creating a film period but you're all you also told a story about the cycles of violence that perpetuate i would say that are perpetuated from unresolved trauma and that's a that's an intense story to tackle you know violence and pain and trauma and all of that through nonlinear flashbacks. You know, I was there in the deep end and these actors, you know, we really pushed each other and it was, Mm. um, you know, I'm sure, especially from being an actor and a director and a writer, like you understand the full thing. It's like, it's a push and pull. And especially when you're dealing with heavy topics, it's like, it can get really emotional and it can get, you know, Mm. There's tension. I try to push into that tension to help keep that tension. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I feel there was moments where it was like pretty heavy, but I felt like we all understood what we were there to do and why it was, it was why we were in those positions. It wasn't ego and it wasn't this and that. It was like, we have to get to that point. And each actor came with it, you know, and we kept pushing it. And, yeah. um, and it evolved, and you and I saw the friendship of these three kids transcend the film and become real, like you know, to this day. Um, and you know, having these amazing collaborators that just brought it and really just put themselves there through heavy, heavy emotional things, and it was like, wow, I'm so grateful to have had that experience for my first film. That's for sure. Like, mm. I don't know if I can do it the same way again, but it was definitely like. The whole process was such a, a beautiful experience. I'll do it differently from now on. How would you do it different? Mm, I think everything from funding to producing to, you know, who my collaborator, collaborators are. Just different. Just in a different way. I know I learned so much, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I was part of every process. Mm-hmm. The effects supervision music supervision soundtrack so like it was it was tough but it was like now i know all the different pieces i know all about like the different elements and i had time between tribeca where it premiered to when it actually came out to just play around even further and just understanding and the collaboration like having other people another editor look at it and give you might like you might get two things. You might get 10 things. You're like, oh, nah, nah, nah. And then you might just get one or two little gems from somebody that could really change a whole dynamic. 
Because mm. I remember I showed it to somebody after, and they're like, yo, what did you do differently? And a couple little things can really change a lot about a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned, and it was, it was, you know, so great because that affects then my videos or commercials or whatever I do, anything I do forward, like that affects how I think of how I approach things. And um, yeah. I love that. I think that what you're speaking to is constantly evolving as an artist, constantly learning and growing and leaving space for error and trial and then comes success through learning from that error. Totally. And some of the best things come from those errors. And then they ju- it just is, like you're saying, it's just constantly evolving. Like the way I approach a video is like when I do a video, I, I work with different people all the time. I try to work with the same editors because, you know, when you find your groove, you have a groove. Um, but some, a lot of times I've used probably 30, 40 different editors. I'm using an editor on my next video that I'm doing next weekend and I'm using a new editor. And what I'm going to do, like any video I do, is I'll shoot it. Sometimes I'll send the treatment. This is a new editor, so I'm going to give them the treatment. But I'm not going to, I'm going to give them three days, do whatever. Like, I, I'm going to tell, like, I'm going to tell this editor, like, do whatever you want. Anything you want. Because they're going to bring something that I never thought about. Mm. And, you know, some of it I might not like, but there's definitely going to be some gems in there that I never thought about that could really change the whole dynamic of what I'm creating. And a lot of, that's happened a lot of times on videos, even to the point where I did a Dua Lipa video and something wasn't right. And during this kind of like conversation, we're friends. So it was kind of like this intense conversation about what we're going to do. And she's like, why don't you try the end of the beginning or something like that? And I was like, Oh shit. Mm. That's Yeah. That's amazing. And that was the artist telling me an idea that changed the whole dynamic of the video. And then I changed a few things along the way so that it connected. But that happens a lot with a lot of things that I make. It's like just different people. And it could be the sound designer. Like I'll put some sound design there and they'll do something and they'll just trigger a reaction. Like, oh, I got to edit something differently because now that sound can trigger something that happens earlier. You know what I mean? All those things. Yeah, yeah. That's the magic of collaboration, which is interesting on the level of, you know, director to artist. Um, but you've also done, you know, DNA for yeah. Kendrick, which was you and the little homies, yeah. which is collaborating yeah. director to directors. And in that case, Kendrick and Dave Free, what's, what's that process like? Ultimately great, but, you know, you have to... You know, do it. Luckily, Dave and Kendrick are so great with ideas. So mm. that particular one, it's great. You know, some, it doesn't always end up that way when a direct when an artist wants to co-direct. But um, no, great. It's just a mishmash. Like, there's a lot of things that you know. I'm such a Kendrick fan, so it was kind of like you know, you just roll with it. And, and Dave is such a creative mind. So it, it, it was just a mashup. That whole thing was a mashup. Like even to the point where I grabbed a camcorder and started just like doing this weird Zoom thing 
by myself. And I was like, and then he's like, yes, yes. So we did a whole performance bit of it when he was like going crazy. And that was just with a real cheap little camcorder that we were shooting these other because we wanted to, we shot with the camcorder because I was like, this is going to give us that kind of like real thing. And we had to shoot it all at a studio. So we had to make it feel like all these different emotions, like when the flashes are going off for that whole crazy sequence. But like things evolved, even like the last sequence with Schoolboy, like when Schoolboy pulled up, it ended up, you know, evolving into this just one shot because I just saw all these guys there and I was like, just, I'm going to pan back with the camera. There was two lights outside. Just come towards camera and do your thing. And that was just like so powerful in its own thing. And I remember Dave, like, I remember the girls in the car when we were doing like doing skids and he yelled at something and whatever he yelled at, I remember the girls just started laughing and going crazy. And that just added a whole nother thing. And then I had to like figure out how I was going to, we didn't actually lock off that street to do all that crazy shit, but we just did it. Oh yeah. And then Don Cheadle, what am I saying? Don Cheadle. I forgot about the whole, that part. Like that was wild. Cause at first it wasn't written that they go back and forth. It was written that it was Don going to do the whole thing. But, um, like, do his whole verse, and Kendrick doesn't say anything. But then I saw the itch that Kendrick had. And then I was like, oh, now, you know what? You guys go back and forth. And it just, it just one of those things that worked out. And then Don just said a couple of hilarious things that weren't even written that just fed into it. Like, he did his thing. It's so crazy to work with an amazing actor like Don Cheadle. Like, because they'll just bring a whole nother thing that you didn't even think about. And you just kind of play into it. And then I played into what he said to what the end was about him falling on the ground because I just went with what he said earlier, whispered in his ear. And um, yeah, you know, I think the best thing is just collaboration and knowing what you do like and um, and just taking, taking... I think you have to know what you want because, you yeah. know, collaborations can sometimes not work out. But when you're working with people that you respect and feel that the mutual collaboration, I think, is the greatest thing because there's just so many things like can come out of those conversations. And that doesn't mean artist to artist, director to director. Sometimes it might just be your AC, AD, your producer. What I really appreciate about this story and really all the stories that you're sharing is that you have an ability to be so present that as things are shifting and changing and through spontaneity or just listening to an artist's impulse, ideas reveal themselves. And I think it, filmmaking, storytelling, production requires a large degree of presence which can be very difficult when it is so chaotic. And what I really appreciate is in all the stories that you shared, you maintained presence. Yeah. And I thank you. I appreciate it. And I think you understand from you being in the same position is like you have to, because you can't run away. You don't have the ability as the director to go into another room and just turn off or, not reply to the artist or not talk to the co-director or not talk to the whoever it is like 
that your job is everybody. There's a lot of people on set and you're in control. So you really, and that end product has your name on it. So you have to be present. And my goal is to make the best thing in the end. It's not, mm. you know, like I've learned through my career is like, sometimes you just got to put the ego aside. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, have to, I mean, cause it's like such a effort, but then you also have to take control. And mm. there's a lot of things coming together to make that magic moment. There's so many things, as you know, like, especially if you're recording sound or that or anything, or like the, the kilohertz of the light, which might do a flicker, which might be one light down the street and you have the whole street locked off and you're waiting for, and there's one thing flickering, killing the whole vibe. And then you got to hit pause and someone has to run down the street, go up that light and either unscrew it or change the bulb or change the, <laughs> or change the shutter of your camera which then makes it a little blurry, which gives you a whole different feeling. There's so many crazy elements. There's like, you know, shooting DNA. We shot that at LAX, my friend's studio at LAX. You know what happens at LAX? Planes. You know, <laughs> if you're trying to record dialogue with planes, you're fucked. So that was like, that was a dance with planes that whole night. And you have Don Cheadle for a certain amount of time. I'm directing with Dave Free, who's a G and, my boy and I'm, he's like, yo, what's up with those planes? I'm like, it's planes. You're going to keep flying. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you have a lot of pressure and you just like, you got to adapt and work with and make the best of what you have. And that's any kind of filmmaking. And I think the more you can adapt to it and let things, and like, I think that makes directors, I don't know, like it's hard for me to say, I'm not trying to flex on myself, but like it makes it, it can make a director if you can really 100%. adapt. The presence is like making with what you have and doing, you know, getting what you can and understanding that certain things also are not going to pan out the way you wanted them to. Mm -hmm. And then how do you get something else that you have to think three steps ahead too? sometimes as a director, you have to think like all these different, and then you have to be able to react to an artist who doesn't want to do something or, it doesn't feel right. Same thing in your filmmaking. Like you might, when you're making a TV show, something just is written a certain way and it just doesn't feel right. So you got to figure out how to get different versions of it. Yeah. These are gems. I think, I mean, you can flex for sure. You got the work to back, <laughs> back it up. Um, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's really important for people to, to know that that is, crucial to filmmaking is the ability to adapt and to be present yes sorry i have to send a text that's Never okay <laughs> um oh. i got a i got a final question i don't know taj if you have more questions i feel like i hijacked this entire no, um, this is this is interview this is awesome. because because i'm uh, a fan outside of you know friend your friend i i'm a fan and so I was really excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Um, tell me what your question is, but thank you for starting off. <laughs> I was, so I was recently having a conversation with a couple um, actresses on a show that I just wrapped up, and we were talking about the artist's journey. We were talking about um, the artist's cycle of life and it was a really you know emotional conversation and we started to relate it to uh the four seasons so you got 
of course, spring, summer, fall, and winter. And in those dry, cold, uh, gray months, I think it's really easy as an artist to start questioning your journey. And outside of this conversation that I had with these two actresses, it's I have it a lot with artist friends where in that uh, winter season, you can question, you know, why isn't it happening for me right now? Where did the momentum go? Is it the clock is ticking? What's going to happen? But in all of these conversations, I think the thing that I'm starting to 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 realize, and shit, even for myself, before I met Taj, I I questioned all of those same things before I started working with the with the team that I'm working with now. I think the thing that is important to realize is is that it's winter and that there's snow on the ground and that there will be a time where spring comes around and the seeds that were underneath the snow will begin to bloom. And that's, of course, very uh, easy for me to say at this moment in time where I feel like I'm in the spring. And so I better keep the same energy when I'm in the winter, right? But my question is, one, how have you weathered the seasons and to maybe it's it's always been summer for you so it's definitely not been summer I think you just painted a whole picture for me in my head and I think what I was watching while you were saying that was that how beautiful the snow can be Mm -hmm. that some of the most beautiful art can come out of the snow or the dark clouds Mm -hmm. Um, because that's life and life isn't always spring and summer and that we have it we have we have amazing life to be able to choose what we want to do and we have the ability to breathe and live in safety and live be able to look at the snow and look at the sun there's so many people on this earth that don't even have that ability or the choice Mm -hmm. so that's the greatest gift I have of growing up and, you know, traveling the world is perspective. And to be able to have that perspective to get me out of moments, you know, it's not always been easy. There's been all different types of winters for me Mm. and all different types of summers, even sometimes in the summer that like the feeling is not right in its own way. So, yeah, I mean, I just, no matter where I'm at in the seasons, I just always come back to like how lucky I am in this position. And it's not always me. It's sometimes people have to tell me it. Um, but the more I get in tune to myself and I've been working on self, working on myself, the more I see how the seasons come into, you come into tune with the seasons and mm. they're all beautiful. You just, you know, it's, it's a never ending cycle. Just like the world is like working on yourself, working is just nonstop and it's hard for me to really answer this in a negative way now just because I'm going through this part of my life that was so difficult though you know quitting drinking and facing and going to therapy and things like this like facing my things all these things that we have and like having to like and not having something to run away from or hide from has been such a blessing and a great experience as I go through the parallel journey of 
you know, releasing my baby film and mm. trying to make the next thing. Um, and it's probably going to, you know, have to do it again. And it's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be, it's not once, but for where I'm at now, I'm just looking at these seasons and just, I'm excited for whatever the next one is because now I can experience it to its fullest. So I, I, I um, urge any artist to like keep working on it, whatever it is, your craft, yourself, and just appreciating and gathering perspective because that's going to help your storytelling. Mm. No matter what it is, it's not even just being a director, just being a human is like, yeah, having that database of life. I went on so many tangents then. <laughs> no, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful tangent. <laughs> no, that was, that was, that was real, man. You, you, you summed up life in a real way. Um, finding beauty in the darkness because to your point, Nabil, that's, that's true life, right? Like you always hear about, you know, like motivational speakers talking about you learn the most from your failures, right? There's no such word as an L. L means learning. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you know, and another one I, I I go by is you know like the pressure. You know what what does pressure do? Pressure makes diamonds, right? So like the fact that how many times you guys are thrown up against a wall? The artist shows up six hours late. <laughs> you have a fourteen hour day. The fucking Jenny breaks down. There's some shit that's always going down. But like to your point, I you know I look at you know, music video uh, directors as filmmakers, I don't separate it because you're, you're building a world from beginning to end and you're figuring out how to, to execute your creative with all these hurdles in front of you and still make something that speaks to the artist, that speaks to you and that speaks to the song that connects with an audience. It's, and to do it over and over and over again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful gift. And, uh, and just listen to you guys tonight. And again, Karina, you're awesome. Like, you know, I'm very talkative, but today I was just sitting, listening to these two masters having a conversation and sitting in this master class, hearing you guys talk about your process and uh, the experiences of getting to where you, where have you been and the journey that you're still on. Um, so it was just beautiful to hear all together. Yeah. Thank you guys. This is the best interview I've had in my whole life. This is like- <sighs> You know, like the interview where it's like you're learning about yourself as you're doing it. Mm. Like, it's it's a it's a great thing. So thank you guys for this. No, thank you. It felt um, super soulful, and I feel like I learned a lot listening to your stories and and uh, my come up, my my <laughs> my hustle from the beginning. Yeah. My God, for real, yeah. Twelve dollar hustle, baby. Twelve dollar hustle. And before we go, before we go, I always ask two, two questions. Okay. This is our literally last two. We always ask this question to all our guests. um, And I think you've answered it, but what do you do to keep your creative juices flowing? What, how do you stay in these moments, how do you stay present? How, what, you know, I, I know like it's one thing, it's one thing, you know, driving your car, playing loud music to like trigger certain creative energies, but like, how do you stay in it? How do you stay focused? Those times when you're like, ah, oh, not another music video again, but how do you bring yourself back into that space of creating? The music kind of does it. The music brings me back. How can you like, music is the, 
one of the most powerful things on earth. So it's like, it, it automatically does that when you hear that beautiful vibration. So that's, that's only, you know, like all that goes into it is sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this again? And I know why I'm doing it because of that music. And also the relationship sometimes with the artists, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect and admiration for a lot of artists. And I'm like, how could I not take this opportunity to make something? You know what I mean? Like, it's tough to say no to making something with someone else's money. And not, not that it's always a lot, but like, it's enough. They're giving you their trust to make something. So it's like, how, how can I, like, how can I, fuck, it's like, I don't want to talk, but like, how can I not do this? Unless I can pass it to somebody. I've passed baton a few times and I love when that happens and it works out. And I would love to build that more. But then also with that comes a lot of responsibility when you're passing the baton because you're also... Putting that, putting that trust in that person now to like not make yeah. you look fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, like there's so many different elements that get me to that point. But ultimately, it's the music. If it is for a music video and if it's film, it's just telling stories. To be able to be able to tell a story that can maybe inspire someone or cause a reaction to them, um, that's that's why I made Gully. I didn't. I lost a lot of finances and probably a lot of other things that out of making that film. Like I don't. I hope in the long run not. But like, yeah, that was that was. So I do it to hopefully just tell, give a voice to certain things. Yeah. Why like, we're given that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say that. I think that storytelling and music and art, visual arts, they are crucial to the evolution of humanity and the existence of humanity. And so to be given that opportunity to to tell a story, be it in the form of a music video or a film or a show or a short or a song, it's um, a privilege. And I hope to be able to do it forever and ever until I die. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Ditto and a few surfers. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of love along the way. Yeah, nice. a lot of love along the way. A lot of love, yeah. only love. Uh, and uh, and the final, final question. In recent times, has there been, what have you watched in terms of like a short form commercial or I don't know, short film or something that's really like blown your head off or music video even? Something in recent times that you've watched and you've just been like, oh shit, that's fucking dope. It's hard for me to like, there's so many, but I can just tell you because I was looking at DP Reels today for my next project, there's this Russian director, this Russian DP. And I don't remember what music video is called. It's a Russian one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's pretty wild. And I remember watching that and it was just so beautifully done. So let me look real quick. Yeah. Andrei Nikolev is the DP. Okay. Um, and the video he did, it's called You're Born. You're Born. And nice. the artist is A-I-G-E-L. It's like an obscure video, but like cool. when you see that thing, watch that video. I'm going to watch it tonight. 
it's pretty cinematic. So that's just, it's hard for me to go into like too much memory because that was something I was looking at like two out three hours ago. My answer is Gully. Everyone watch Gully. Thank you. Please. Yeah, thank you. I really, I'm super grateful. Like, I'm just grateful for anyone to watch it and give me their honest thoughts. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not for everyone. I hope, I wish it was for everyone. I wish in my head, in my head that everyone would want to watch it. Just, I know, and it's, it's not even, you know, it's hard to like, because it's like I'm the director and I put so much into it, but I feel bigger about the film than just my my own ego moments, even though they're definitely mixed into the mix because it mm-hmm. is my first baby. Yeah, watch, watch Gully, please. Please. <laughs> DM me if you don't... How about this? DM me if you really want to watch it someone... And you don't want to drop the six ninety nine. I'll buy it for you. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. We ain't doing I that. I promise you. <laughs> I promise that anybody. I swear to God. I swear to God. I, I, I gotta. You know, if a hundred people want to watch this, I will pay for all hundred people, and I'll and more oh. than that. Like anybody, if you really want to watch it, I can. I figured it out on iTunes. You can send a movie as a gift. So I will buy you the gift of. The film, not saying that it's a gift. It's actually called a gift. It's called gifting. <laughs> I'm not, not like, I'm going to give you the gift of my movie. No, but I'm going to buy you a gift purchase of my film. Mm. So, no, you no heard it here. You heard yeah. it here. DM Nabil. He will yep. answer Tell and me. then also gift you the chance to see his movie. And yep. this is holding you to it. <laughs> <laughs> DM Karina if I don't do it because no one's gonna, but no one's gonna DM you because I'm gonna do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Nabil, listen, man, this is this has been awesome, and uh, this is why we created this this podcast is to sit down with artists like yourself and to hear your story, your journey, your passion, and to get a deeper look at your work and the why. And uh, this has been. Uh, a great uh, learning for me, just sitting here and you two friends talk and have a conversation. And um, hopefully when I'm back in LA, you know, we could have a toast and a drink and dinner and continue this conversation, man, because you're a cool dude. And now I see why a lot of people gravitate towards you outside of you just being an incredible filmmaker. You're also an incredible human being. So congratulations on all the success. And uh, and uh, for sure, everybody, please go check Gully. He made it for the culture. And uh Again, man, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to the show. And there you have it, y'all. Another episode of Architects with our special guest, Nabil, and guest co-host, Karina Evans. Thank y'all for doing that. That was a masterful conversation. Learned so much. I respect the hustle. And, uh, man... The journey is real, okay? Now, I gotta give it up to my man, Nabil, for his film, Gully. Um, It's currently out right now in Canada on Crave or Amazon Prime in America. Check it out. Check out his work. He poured his soul into it. Support my brother, you know? And uh, man, check it out, all right? Enjoy that. If you like this episode, feel free to give us a five-star review 
on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. As always, you can follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Architects Pod. Uh, you can send us a message and let us know who else you want to hear on the show. Architects is created by Fella and produced in partnership with Curious Cast. Our theme music and audio production are by Oso Audio. All right. Have a great night. Thank you for tuning in. God bless. Peace.